I'm Susan Branscombe, and this is Leading She. I have really very clearly illustrated in our organization and outside our organization how strong a company can be when it's led by women. Molly North is one of the few women in the country who heads a commercial real estate development company, Al Nyer, at the age of 39. I love Molly's boldness, confidence, and tenacity. Before being a commercial real estate developer, she spent years working hard in a corporate environment where she observed mediocrity. Today she leads her entrepreneurial company with a policy of no drama, no politics, valuing people working as teams. She is clear on the strengths she brings to leadership. Molly talks about balance and the influence of a strong mother who fostered her independent nature. Enjoy listening to Molly North. Today I'm excited. I have Molly North, who is president and CEO of Al Nyer, a Cincinnati-based commercial real estate developer and design builder, which was founded in 1894. Uh, The company became 100% employee-owned in 2014, and Molly is its leader and has been since 2015. So welcome. Thank you. Glad you're here, and I consider you a friend. We've known each other a long time. We have. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I know, and I'm happy to have you here. You have quite a success story at Al Nair, uh, and I'd like to hear more about the company, uh, where the employment was, where where it is now, other markets you've gone into. What does the company do? Well, as you said, we're a commercial real estate developer. We really lead with design, build, construction services as well. We, as you say, have been in business for 125 years, for most of those years in Cincinnati, but we've since expanded into three other markets, Pittsburgh, Nashville, and Raleigh. We hit all the big commercial product types, industrial, office, medical office, and multifamily. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, you guys have been a longtime client of mine. I've worked with a lot of different people there over the years, the Nyers, um, Jim and Dave, um, and financed uh, some of your deals because that's what I do. Um, why did you decide to go in these other markets, Pittsburgh, Nashville, and Raleigh? Well, like a lot of companies, we have a desire to grow, and the other markets we've entered have great opportunity for growth in what we serve. Uh, We love the Nashville market. Obviously, it's one of the hottest markets in the country. We love the Raleigh market. It's just got a strong talent base, and Pittsburgh is exceptional as well. Mm -hmm. So for our listeners uh, who may not understand our industry, you are pitching, you are competing to build a building for companies so that you would be design build. You would build the building, they would own it. And then you're also doing development. I know um, Hillwood is a partner of yours on the industrial property at the airport. And so you you find joint venture partners to help you develop. um, And then you own properties. And often you sell them, but sometimes you might finance them. But so you do a lot of different things. So you are competing with other companies that do the same thing. So you bring your team in and say, we can do it, we can do it better, cheaper, faster kind of well, thing. Well, sure. To, as you say, we we really focus in two different areas. One is in development and one is in third-party construction. In development, we are, we are securing property and that really helps us control opportunity for the future. In some cases, we bring on joint venture partners if the projects are very significant in scale. And in some cases, we go it alone, so to speak, and build the equity from our 
from our own coffers. Mm-hmm. On third-party construction, indeed, probably 25 to 40% of our business, depending on the year, is third-party business. And we compete with other uh, contractors or developers if the client desires a lease instead of an, an, owner, an ownership opportunity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, tell me a little bit about your career. Uh, where did you start? Where did you go? What does your career progression look mm-hmm. like? since you started out of college and then ended up in this position? Sure. Well, I I started out as a graduate with a a degree in finance and accounting. I only picked up accounting at the very end of my college tenure because I had a a counselor who said, you really should pick up a couple more accounting classes to get your double major in accounting. And I said, I assure you, I don't want to be an accountant. I'm a finance person. And she said, trust me, accountants get jobs. So (laughs) she was right. My first job out of school was in public accounting. In fact, at Ernst & Young, I worked there for four years in total. Three were in Cincinnati, and then one was in the Zurich, Switzerland office. A really incredible opportunity. Oh, wow. So you were in Zurich with E&Y. I was. I was. It was a great opportunity. We're getting ready to celebrate our 20th year reunion next summer. So we've got... So you all get together? Yeah, hopefully a group of 20 or so people all descending upon Zurich to to reunite. Oh, that's great. great. That That is a wonderful thing. It is. Um, so from E&Y, you went to where? I went to Fifth Third. and Big in, bank here in Cincinnati. Right. In Switzerland, you have to give a, a, a three-month notice to exit your position. It's it's the it's the law. It's mm. the equivalent, equivalent of a two-week notice here. Wow. So I gave it. And between the time I gave my notice and came back to the States, 9-11 happened. So I had resigned my position. I didn't intend to come back to Ernst & Young. At the time, the economy was going okay, and I wasn't concerned about getting a job. But, of course, you know what was happening with employment after 9-11. Not much. Yes. But I came back to Cincinnati, nonetheless, and got a job at Fifth Third. At that time, Fifth Third had just acquired Old Kent. So they were hiring like crazy, mm-hmm. and they really were transitioning from a a small community bank to a super regional bank and really had to bring on a lot of talent in finance and accounting. So Mm -hmm. I started there as an accounting manager at the ripe age of 25. (laughs) I loved it. I absolutely loved working at Fifth Third. I always say that's where I got my hustle because back then George Schaefer was the CEO and he was all about the hustle. He's an old army sergeant. Right. uh, Wear your pen and you better be in here at 7. West Point grad, that's right. Don't leave before 7. That's right. So um, I really learned even more about work ethic than I had learned at Ernst & Young, which is saying a lot. And those six years I worked for Fifth Third were dog years for sure. And it was a very exciting time to be part of a growing mm-hmm. organization, Cincinnati-based, in the center of downtown. Yeah. So I worked in corporate accounting there, and it was a very much a sales culture. I mean, literally, the screensaver said, what did you sell today? And that phrase bounced around on the screen. Hmm. So it became ingrained in my head that it was all about selling, all about new business. And I landed on the opportunity to take a role in commercial real estate as a lender, and that was a sales, that was a sales role. And I took it. And I remember the guy who interviewed me said, do you, are you a type A or a type B? And I paused and I said, is this a trick question? (laughs) (laughs) I know what the answer is, but what did you say? (laughs) I said, I I, I don't know if I should apologize for this, but I'm type A all the way. Yeah. 
So he he essentially hired me on the spot. He was a strong type A as well. So he felt amongst a peer there. Mm -hmm. And I started. I loved it. I enjoyed the client interaction. I loved how tangible the work was. I mean, close. There's nothing more tangible than closing a deal. You're I would done, agree. complete, I would and agree. it's exciting. Very satisfying. It's yes. very satisfying. And I had, I I built a strong book of business. I served my clients well. One of my clients uh, that was added was Al Nyer, my current employer, and I just loved the company. Yeah, me too. I loved how professionally managed it was. I loved the company's sense of purpose, which was well beyond what a lot of commercial developers do, which is they're in business to make money. Mm -hmm. So I stayed connected with them. I, After a couple of years, I took on a role as a vice president in the corporate finance group, essentially working on budgeting and forecasting for all of our affiliate banks. It was a very challenging position, which I enjoyed, but I really lost the tangible nature and that sense of reward associated mm -hmm. with closing business. Getting deals done, yeah. So about that time, I you know, knocked on Al Nyer's door and said, I'd really like to explore the opportunity to work with you. So you went to them. I went to them. Hmm. And I had kept in touch with, you know, folks in finance and development and really had built a strong relationship with them and kept in touch. And they said, well, we have a controller position open. Would you be interested in that? And I said, I've I've really passed that years ago. I, I would learn it in six months and I'd be bored and I'd be looking for something else. But what about development? And I said, what do you know about development? I said, what do you need to know about development? You just get stuff done. <laughs> And of course, I really didn't know much about development, but I was right in that it is a business that rewards people who can get stuff done. Yes. Really. Who really can navigate from A to Z, figure out where the hurdles are, figure out the relationships and people with whom you need to connect, right. and just get it done. Yeah. And it's that tenacity that makes a developer successful. Mm -hmm. Same with mortgage banking. You know, right. I tell my associates that... The minute you sign up an application, the obstacle course begins mm -hmm. because there will be things that come up that you have to get over. And that's what we're best at is seeing what is in our way and getting it over, getting over it, mm -hmm. you know, developing relationships, you know, just saying there's got to be another way. There's got to be another way and closing deals, closing tough deals and uh, things, you know, times when people said it was impossible to do, we did it anyway and mm -hmm. getting it done. And it's right. exciting. It's rewarding. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. So you bit, when was that? When did you go to Al Nair? Let's see. That would have been uh, just over 12 years ago. So what, what's that make the date? 2007. Okay. 2007. Yeah, I remember when, right. when you came over. And then so yeah. you started as uh, in finance uh, or no, in I was development. No, I was a development manager. Okay. Right. All right. Yeah. And I remember when you came over and there were a lot of number of leadership changes throughout your career there? There were. Yes. There were. Yeah, it, we'll come back to that. Yeah, there were. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit, we'll come back to, to some of these things. I'd like to know a little bit more about Fifth Third and then some of the leadership at the company. But uh, tell me about your personal background, where you grew up, parents, siblings. Yeah, sure. I grew up in Wilmington, Ohio, which is just an hour north of here. Mm -hmm. Though it's close on the map, I assure you, it's a world away. Yes. Growing up in a small Farming community essentially mm -hmm. is a very different experience than growing up in, you know, a mid-tier city like Cincinnati. Right. I was born and raised there. When I went to college, my I could only see as far as Cincinnati or Columbus. 
and I chose Cincinnati, I just felt more connected to it as a city mm-hmm. than I did Columbus. And so you I went started to UC? at UC. I went, okay. I went to UC. And I really never looked back. I, I lived in a dorm in Clifton. I still live in Clifton. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. That's cool. So uh, parents, uh, siblings? Yeah. My mom um, essentially, essentially was a single mom most of the, the, hmm. the time I was growing up. My parents divorced when I was young. My dad entered the army and he he left. You know, he was stationed all over the world. We got together about once a year when he was home on leave. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I grew up with my mom. Mm-hmm. She was a supervisor in a factory most of the time I was growing up. And we have a very common small town story, which is that when I was a teenager, my mom's factory closed. It was among other factories that had closed, and there just weren't jobs mm-hmm. in Wilmington anymore. So we went from being a working class family to having, you know, a sole provider who didn't really have a future. Mm. My mom went back to school. She became a nurse. She's so strong. She's so smart. She's yeah. so tough. Yeah. And I uh, admire her yeah. a lot. We've talked about strong mothers in mm-hmm. this podcast a number of times, including my strong mother. And then I think we see things. We see how they get through things and how they just pull themselves up by the bootstraps. They do what they need to do to provide for their family. How do you think that role model shaped you? Well, it shaped me in good ways and bad. You know, in good ways, it shaped me that I have been very independent and been able to uh, manage and run my life. In other ways, you know, it can position you as not really needing anyone. Yes, I understand. (laughs) That's not always so great. Yeah. I understand. Yeah, no, you have to, as uh, partners in your family and your kids, and you have to come together. But yeah, I mean, uh, the independent nature does serve us well in careers, but we have to, with relationships, we have to come together again. That's right. Anything you want to talk about with your father and uh, any relationship with him? Yeah, you know, my dad was... um, as I said, he was in the military. He later went on to remarry and have two children. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, is he's he's a musician. He's an adored man in that regard and others. Unfortunately, he passed away about six months oh. before he turned 65, yeah, which in a very traditional nature, he intended to retire when he was 65. He worked, he was career army, and he continued to work for the army for almost 20 years after his retirement. Mm -hmm. So he was very dedicated to service. And how long ago was that, that he died? That was almost three years ago. He passed away. It was sudden. It was sudden. He had a heart attack in his Mm. sleep, unexpected. Um, So it was, it was a sad time. He and I were really starting to come together as father and daughter, really in connection with me Mm -hmm. becoming a mother as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, your father died suddenly about the same time that my mom died suddenly in her sleep. Mm-hmm. I think we've talked about this. And mm-hmm. um, how did it affect you? Did, did it change your view of life or your perspective at all? Um, you know, I have always yearned for a relationship with my dad because I didn't grow up with him. And I, I thought that finally our time had come. So it it was a very sad event for Mm me. It, um, you know, I felt when he passed away, I refilled all the wounds that I had felt growing up without him. And How did you do that? 
how did I feel all the wounds? Right. You know, you go through every birthday that he wasn't around or every holiday that you didn't celebrate together. And mm -hmm. you think you put all those to bed, but you don't. They just... Right. No, there's an abandonment, right. an abandonment right. piece there. Right. And then, so, and then once he's gone, it's like you can't really patch those up because he's gone, right? Right. And I do... I have come to terms with everyone does the best they can. It doesn't mean that it's enough. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that you didn't deserve more in right. your relationship with your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, but everyone does the best they can. Mm -hmm. And you have to accept them for that and love them and forgive them. Yes. And without that, you will continue to have those wins. Mm -hmm. No, I, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. My mom was not emotionally effusive. She was emotionally somewhat detached. She was a very strong role model for me. And I watched her how she worked and advanced and so forth in her career and how she got through tough times and so forth. But her dying suddenly changed my perspective on things. You know, I was overweight at that time and had two grandchildren, and I decided to do a life change around uh, losing weight and getting healthy and mm -hmm. realizing that we could be gone tomorrow. I think that's what I learned. Right, yeah. right. I, I didn't lose any weight, so. <laughs> <laughs> you look great. You look great. Uh, let's go back to Fifth Third a little bit. Fifth Third in our community has a reputation for being hardworking. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd say male-dominated. There are a lot of women that work there. Sure. I think uh, Teresa Tanner and Tilly Hidalgo Lima have done some really great things with the maternity concierge service there. Uh, what what do women want that work there? Um, but it is it is a corporate, large corporation, large bank based here, and it has a reputation for very hardworking employees and people that are there. And what what did you learn from that corporate environment, being a woman who, what you know, wanted to be productive, wanted to make a difference? What did you learn there that that you think is valuable today? Well, it, as I said earlier, it and it meets all the reputation that you just stated is it's it is hardworking and I always felt like I was recognized for my hard work and contributions I felt like my star really could rise there I felt like I had access to senior level management in every capacity in which I worked and at the time, certainly at the time I worked there, the tangible outcome of the work was recognized. You could feel it, experience it, and it was valued. Mm -hmm. So you feel like you worked hard, you were productive, you were successful, and it was valued there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we talked about something with your experience with Fifth Third and my own experience, and that is in, in my 20s, and see if you can relate to this, in my 20s, or really getting out of college, I was so ambitious. I was just ready to go out there and get something done in advance. And I thought, I work hard, always have. I, taught, I was taught to work hard, and I want to get into a company and show them what I can do. And I did that year after year after year in a corporation, and yet I kept seeing, whatever you want to call it, the glass ceiling, the uh, politics that go on, mm -hmm. uh, that, that it's not just about hard work. It's not just about being really good at what you do, doing high-quality work in terms of advancement. What was your experience there? You know, I was so 
I I use the term bright-eyed and bushy-tailed yeah. when I started at Fifth Third. You know, we were working 60 to 80-hour work weeks yeah. for years. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't just a quarter. It right. was years. And it's valued there. Oh, it was. Well, and at the time when when Fifth Third had acquired Old Kent, it was necessary. Yes. You know, what all year the, was that? It was 2007. Seven. It was 2007. Okay. And there was so much to do. I mean, the analyst's eyes were on this company. The regulator's eyes, which regulation wasn't then what it is today, mm-hmm. were on the company. We had a lot of work to do. We had an entire accounting function to centralize, which was a big undertaking for a bank of that size. And... <clears throat> I, I couldn't get enough of it. I mean, I couldn't get enough of it. Me too. I yeah. just, I absolutely, it was. Yeah. I loved it. And we, it wasn't like we had three or four people in the trenches. We had 80 people in the trenches. It was, I mean, we were building ourselves. We were building this company and it was fun. Mm-hmm. It was really fun. Yeah, It was it was two or three years into it that I started to really become aware of the workings of leadership. And I do remember the first time that I really saw politics in play. Mm-hmm. And I won't say that there's necessarily a story to go behind it, but I came acutely aware of people in significant positions that were inadequate, mm-hmm. really just inadequate and, and incompetent, not. Right. Would you say incompetent? Incompetent may be strong, but certainly weren't up to the challenge. Uh, up to the yeah. challenge of mm-hmm. these very significant roles, and in some cases even lacked integrity. Mm-hmm. And it these was men like or women, all both. Men? Okay, all. I, I'll say primarily men yeah. because it was primarily men in those roles, right? But when, but I wouldn't limit it mm-hmm. to men. And it was really like getting hit with a baseball bat of devastation. Yeah, it was for me, too. It took the wind out of my sail that made me think, no matter how hard I work, no matter what I do and how good I am, there's always going to be, you know, the the guy that's in that next position, you know, is, is not as good as me in some ways. And so I don't know if I really see the advancement because I'm not a white guy. You know, I don't know that I felt about it that way. Okay. How I felt about it was I want to surround myself with winners. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be with winners. Yeah. And I had to that point felt like I was surrounded by winners and I was. Mm-hmm. But then as I looked a little bit further and around, I saw that there weren't the people in the winning seats weren't winners. They were players. <laughs> they knew how to manipulate the system Absolutely. through politics. Let me buddy up with this guy, right? So politics played a role. So right. it wasn't just hard work. Is That's that what, right. Yeah. That's right. That's what I realized, too. And I, I'm not good at politics. I'll just say it. I'm not, I've learned to be better. I, I've learned how, what to do. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I usually don't, you know, try to play politics. And you, we've talked about that yeah. with your company. You've said no politics, no drama. No, it's... It is really something I lead with. If I see drama in the organization, and unfortunately, I don't think that I'm at the vantage point now where I can see it all because we've got 125 people. Mm -hmm. But where I sniff it out, I shut it down because Mm -hmm. it really, it really disables an organization Mm -hmm. from achieving its productivity. It it does because Mm -hmm. you you end up with people that are 
working against each other instead of working on the same team. And you can not achieve as much as you could otherwise mm-hmm. if you've got people competing within. Right. That's good. You want a competitive environment. You want people bringing their best game to work every day, but working together. Working together as a team. That's right. Right. So let's move on to, you've been with uh, Al Nyer since 07. That's right. right. Uh, and you have not always led the company. You've led the company since 2015. So during that time, you've had leaders come and go. I mean, I'm aware of some of the changes. What did you learn and what leadership styles did you see where it's like, if I'm there, I'm going to do that. Or if I'm in that role, I'm not going to do that. What did you see? Elevating to a CEO position is an experience like no other. It, it really is. Because we've all spent our careers witnessing leadership of CEOs that we admired. And you want to emulate those traits, whether they're natural to you or not. And I think in the beginning, I felt some insecurity about not having some particular traits that I've admired in other CEOs over my 20 plus year career. Mm -hmm. But I've come to learn that there are many, many types of great CEOs Mm -hmm. and that we all have our unique capabilities as leaders. Mm -hmm. And let me interrupt you there. What what traits did you see in others that you don't think you have? You know, I had a former CEO that just had such a kind, sincere nature. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm certainly sincere. I wouldn't say that kind is one of the top <laughs> things that people would. It's overrated, right? Kind Describe of. about me. <laughs> no, I'm, but his yeah. uh, he he could ingratiate himself to people in a different way than I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I understand what you're saying. Yeah, and and there's it's just a different style. It's a different style. You know, when people describe me, they wouldn't kind wouldn't be the first thing they can. I can be kind. <laughs> I can be kind, but I can be pretty aggressive and direct, and it's not always welcomed. You know, but. Right. Uh, we each put our own thumbprint on leadership, right? We do. You we know. Do. So, what other characteristics that you saw that maybe you don't think that you have that, but but it's okay because you have so many other strengths. I've always considered myself a little bit of a bulldog, <laughs> but I'm not a pit bull. Yeah. But I've seen pit bull leaders also that have been very effective, and yes. I've seen them be very effective, and I um, wondered at some point in time if I needed more pit bull. And mm-hmm. as I say, trust me, I've got plenty of plenty yeah, got, of pr- plenty of scrappy. Bulldog in you. I got plenty but of scrappy. Have but. you seen any women bulldogs? Absolutely. I have you? 100%. Have you seen? Well, I mean, see, not bulldogs, pit bulls. You said you distinguish the two. Sure. So have you seen women pit bulls be effective leaders? I have. Have you? Okay. I have. You've had one on your podcast. Okay. Yeah. Are we going to name names? No. Okay. <laughs> Let me see. I but, think I know who you're talking right. about, but we won't. But and not everybody's going to love her, okay, because she's doing she's doing things that are not always expected of women. She's being a pit bull. That's right. But nobody's going to love any all of us no, for that's different right. reasons. We're not doing this. You're not in this leadership position to be liked, right? You hope people like you, but sure. you're not going to have that lead with how you lead, right. whether people like you or not, right? Right. That's big. It is. Yeah. 
I, I just see you, um, and I've watched you grow, and I've watched you in this role, um, lead with, you know, your, your staff and the people that talk about you say that you lead with confidence and conviction, and you do. It's like when you talk and you say things, it's like, I believe it. You know, <laughs> it's like, okay, Molly said that, and she's so convicted about it, so I, I believe it, and that's that's a strength. What would you say about that? Where did you learn it? What? How did that become your style? Well, I've heard this my entire life that, wow, you just say things and you're so certain about them. <laughs> and I have given myself a tagline that I've only given myself later in life, which is often wrong, never in doubt. <laughs> because <laughs> it's true. I am never, ever in doubt. But you might be wrong. I may but you be. sure sound like you know you're right, right? Right. And you find out later that might, you might be wrong, right? I find out later that I might be wrong. And with age has come acceptance that yes. I am wrong about some things yeah. and that I may need to backtrack. Right. And also some realization that I may need to slow down a little bit and ask for some input, engagement, and some diversity around some ideas yes. before I make a call. Right. I understand. I've learned that too. And I've learned it through making mistakes, being too aggressive, being triggered by something, and then immediately feeling like I need to act upon it when I really should wait. And also building consensus with people where it's appropriate to build consensus. Yes. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Or do you it's have critical. a story? You know, I just think it's, it's, an, it's a fine balance in leadership mm -hmm. is being able to be decisive and make calls but engage input to the appropriate amount necessary. Mm -hmm. And if you want to have strong leaders in your organization, you have to engage them mm -hmm. in d the decision-making process. Right. Always. Yeah, that's good. Now, that's we, we learned that. You're a big believer in diversity in the world, I think. I see that. And then in your company. And I've talked about this with other leaders, uh, other folks, uh, women that I've interviewed. Why do you think diversity around gender, race, uh, religious beliefs, whatever, diversity is so important in your company? Why, mm -hmm. why does it make it a better company? Mm -hmm. A lot of reasons. You know, first of all, I, I feel so deeply committed to our company being representative of our larger community. I just think it's the right thing to do. Um, I'm my weave is lined with justice. It's just the way I'm wired. Mm -hmm. Me too. Right and wrong, and not everybody feels that way. Right. Not everybody is triggered or responds in a way where it's like that's not right. Right. I feel that way, but I also believe that it makes us a better company. Mm -hmm. And I've seen our competitive nature. You know, I get back to having a competitive nature in the workplace, not competing. But competing, you know, with each other, but always on the same team, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Trying to be bringing your best game every day. And I've seen it in play. I've seen mm -hmm. it in play. When you have a group of the same people that are peers, they accept each other's mistakes. They, they're tolerant of each other. They forgive each other. And it's a little bit different when not everyone else is the same. There's an expectation that everybody's going to do what they say they're going to do. There's a whole new level of accountability when you bring diversity in hmm. into a team. Yeah, you've seen it. You brought I have. you've brought some high-powered women in there. To I have, lead. I have, 
They're yeah. the best. Are they? It, they're they're <laughs> the not. The guys in, know that. <laughs> oh, they do know that. They do know that, and they would say the same. Yeah, they would yeah. definitely say That's the same. Really cool. It's really cool. I mean, because you've had a company that has been led by men for many, many years. Mm-hmm. You're in there. You're bringing other women in there. Tell me about going out on a what we call pitch meeting, where you're competing with other companies that do what you do, and you're coming into this this company to tell them we want to build your building, and they see that you're. Uh, the leader, and you're female, and you look young. You do. Thank you. Uh, so, what 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 reaction do you get from them? What what have been some of the reactions that maybe men wouldn't get as the leader coming into a meeting like that? Yeah, I was 39 when I took the CEO position. Wow. So it's that's a that's fairly young. Yes. And and a I'd say I, maybe I do have a little bit of a baby face. There was some maybe some surprise in the early years. I'd even get congratulations, which is a very mm-hmm. unusual thing to say to a CEO. I would certainly get surprised. Sometimes I still do. It's mm-hmm. less frequent now. Mm-hmm. Certainly in Cincinnati, I'm you know, fairly well-known in yes, the business circles anyway. Mm-hmm. And in other markets, it may not be as unusual. Yeah. You know, in markets like Nashville – Mm-hmm. Or Raleigh, particularly, these are new markets with entering talent mm-hmm. and a little people. more trendy diversi- diversity. We have an older conservative city. We do. Well, they're fast growing, so there's yeah. there's a need yes. for talent at all levels. Right. And where anything's fast growing, there's more opportunity for mm-hmm. anyone at um, younger ages mm-hmm. and with different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had an experience at Fifth Third we talked about where one of the guys were talking about Annika Sorenstam, uh, the uh, best female golfer of all time, some people say, um, in 2002, 2003, where she had entered the uh, men's PGA, and there was a lot of controversy about it. Uh, Vijay Singh said if he's paired up with her, he's out. You know, There was right. a lot of controversy at the time, right. and you had somebody that made a comment. Tell me about that story. Oh, yes. I was uh, At the time, I was an accounting manager, and there was a young man who – he was a subordinate, but he worked on a different team, so he didn't directly report to me. But we were having a discussion about it, and I, obviously, I thought it was amazing. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't wait cool. to see her compete. Yeah. And he – you know, said in a group of a dozen people, I mean, they can't let her in. How much would that suck to get beat by a girl? <laughs> and I, to this day, am so proud of my very quick-witted response, which was, Mark, you better get used to it because it's going to happen to you for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> Has it happened so, to him? I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure many times. Right. So, And for all men, that's they will find themselves in a place where they're going to get, quote, beat by right. a girl. Right. And yeah, I always love when a woman is promoted at a company and you always hear you hear this like and listen for it if you haven't heard it. She's really smart. Uh, she's really good as though she's sort of the exception to the rule. Oh, I to Have this day, that? I'm almost 44 years old and I get told on a regular basis that when I meet someone that they've heard I'm really bright. Yeah. Like, and, okay, Molly's bright. Now the rest of them are, right, you know, right. they're sort of like the exception, but they, they don't realize they don't say it about men. No, of course you know, not. He's no really one, bright. You don't hear that. No one would right? say that. No, no, no. So these are the little things like the guy that said, you know, how bad would it be to be beat by a girl? Well, first of all, she's a woman. She's not right. a girl, right? Right. Um, and I had a similar experience. A fellow female mortgage banker said, you got to hear this. Somebody at one of our lenders said to another guy, and I don't know if she overheard it or I think she overheard it, where he was talking to another fellow in the business and he 
we're in the finance business. It's complicated. It's not brain surgery, but, you know, there's complication to it. And he said, he said uh, if it was easy, chicks could do it. Right. Yeah. And it's like, chicks. whoa, chicks could do it. <laughs> if it was easy, ch- chicks could do it. Right. So it's like there's this gender equ- you know, inequality. And that stuff goes on among men. It's still going on. It is. And we don't always hear it because we're the women in the room. And so we don't always hear it. But there is an underlying sort of gender inequality among, you know, still out there. No, and, you know, back to me hiring women for our leadership team, it was really important for me to find the strongest people out there. I mean, just the strongest and women too, mm-hmm. because I, I have really very clearly illustrated in our organization and outside our organization how strong a company can be when it's led by women. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, think of all the think of all the things we go through just to get here, you know, and all of the how good we have to be to be able to be regarded as competent to, to do these things, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to go through some barriers that men just don't have to go through. Would you agree? Oh, I absolutely okay, agree. I thought you would. I do. A couple more questions for you. One is uh, about, uh, we've talked about this, you know, the fellow called Annika, a girl. Uh, there's somebody in town uh, that uh, when, he, when he calls you, he says, hey, kiddo, how you doing? And we've talked about that moniker, kiddo. You know, he wouldn't say it to his male associates. I've been called kiddo. Sometimes it feels innocent to me. Sometimes it feels condescending, like, aren't you cute trying to do what we do? Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think that the um, the intention is endearing. Okay. I do. Um, I think there's just an unawareness to how that feels. Yes. I think I've told you. I don't like being called kiddo, but I also don't like be call- being called ma'am. Yeah, I don't like so, that either. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Especially by these young waiters, you know. <laughs> but it is. You know, I have I have been told my entire life I'm too young to do things. Right. Whether it's been a, a job that I really wanted or uh, an account that I felt I had worked for, I've just been told I'm too young, mm-hmm. you know, or that we need someone with more gray hair. So it stings a little bit to be... Uh, to have achieved what I've achieved and be the age I am and still being called a kiddo. I yeah. mean, certainly you would never call right. someone my age, a man someone that is my age, a kiddo. No, you wouldn't. And it is, it is to me, it's, it just depends on how, how they're saying it. Okay, kiddo. It's endearing. Right. But on the other hand, he wouldn't call men that. Um, and it seems it feels condescending at times. Well, right? and in fairness, I've been called kiddo by older women. Mm. Indeed. Do you think it's more of an age thing than gender? No, I think it's I think it's both. I think okay. it's an age thing, and I think it's gender because I think people of their age wouldn't call a, a guy a kiddo. Mm-hmm. So I think it's both. Yeah, I think it's both. Hmm. But I, you know, I think that gender. Um, um, I think that building inferiority around gender is not isolated to men. I think women do it as well. Yeah. And I won't, uh, you know, I won't cast blame on women. It's just, it's the depth of our patriarchy. Mm-hmm. It runs deep and it's not limited to men. Yeah. And we talked about that, that in the in the days when there were very few women in this business, that there is a tendency to 
say, hey, we need a woman here. We need a woman. And so they're, they don't say we need women. They, we need a woman. And so that woman gets into that position, and there's a bit of a queen bee effect so mm-hmm. that she's there, and does she lift as she climbs, or does she say, I'm here, you guys are on your own? Well, you know, as the the question is, is that once she's there, is she actually in a position of power right? where she has the capability to do what I've done, which is build bring, the team, bring them in, bring them in right. set Rather the than proving herself, I've right. arrived, you know, the guys think I'm good. I need to prove I'm good. I can't be thinking about these other women that are trying to get here too. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Lift as you climb, women mm-hmm. helping women, you know, it's just, You've, but it's changed because a lot more women are here. Well, we talked about this as well. It used to be, as you say, one woman was expected to be at the table, and mm-hmm. it's not that way anymore. Right. It's expected that more women are at the table generally. Yes, right. When you say how many women is enough, I'll say, I guess we'll have enough if everyone hears a woman. I, right. I don't know how to answer that question. Well, they're good. You know, right. It's not like you've hired them because they're women. They're good at what they do. They're right? the best. Right. Well, one last question, and then uh, we'll let you get back to your busy life. Um, and it's about your busy life. And you are uh, you are a mother. You have two, uh, I think still, I just call them small children. You have two children. So you've got this big job with uh, Al Nair, head person. You do a lot of nonprofit work. I think you're saying no more often. Mm-hmm. You lead the chamber here in town, and that's a big job. Uh, and you've got the children. And I uh, just want to hear how you balance it. How do you make it all happen or maybe there's sometimes when you don't make it all happen how do you how do you balance it a lot of women struggle with this well everything's a sacrifice everything is if you're taking a night off to be at the soccer soccer game with your kids you're probably missing some work related event where you could be talking to a potential client mm-hmm. if you're out with a potential client you may be missing a Piano practice. Yeah. So, you know, every, when you have this much going on in your life, something's always not being attended that you could attend. But we've got we've to figure out how to fit it all in. And I just say, you know, I spend some time every day on managing my schedule mm-hmm. and making sure that I'm spending the time in the right places. You know, there's a little exercise called a tombstone exercise. And if you really looked at what you wanted your tombstone to say, would it say, you know, loving mother cared about her employees, committed to her community. If everything I do has to check one of those three boxes, and if it's not achieving one or even two of those at the same time, then I just, I can't do it. I can't afford to do it because that's what I'm committed to doing in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always learned that uh, you don't always come to our holiday party. I think you guard your evenings pretty. I do. You guard your evenings. And Two that's, evenings a week away. Yeah, max. Max. Okay. That's right. that's good. That's a good mm-hmm. one because I guard my evenings to restore for the next day often. Mm-hmm. And I'm very choosy about what I do in the evenings. Yes. So. I'm sorry about the holiday party. No, you you'll understand. be here this year. But no, no, <laughs> if you're not, that's fine too. But I just, I love having you here and uh, enjoy our lunches and uh, I'm just loved watching you. Well, you've been a great mentor to me for oh. many years. Yeah, thank you. I've admired you for- Thanks. I'm here to do- know, 15, The 15 years that I've known you yes. in some way. Thank you. Thank you. I'm getting goosebumps. Um, let me know what I can do to help continue to support you. You know I'm here. You know I'm a phone call away great. So thanks for coming in, Molly. Thank you. This has been terrific. Thank you for listening today. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review. Follow us on Instagram at Leading She. 
And visit our website, leadingshe.com, where we have many great ideas for women leaders. 